Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-35. God has a specific way that we are to approach Him. So if you were an Israelite and you had a desire to draw near to your Creator, then He gave you the way to draw near. You can't bring your pig from your herd and say, I'm drawing near to him this way. We're living in Australia. You can't bring a kangaroo and say, I'm drawing near to God this way. Hello there, and welcome once again to yet another of the podcasts in this uh, series on changing or exchanging our salami for pastrami. And uh, again with me, I've got my wife, Suzanne, and we're uh, now into a discussion here today on specifically defining the concept of food and what it is, at least as uh, the Almighty Eternal Yehovah defines it in the written texts of Scripture in the Bible. And uh, right now, what I would like to do is um, get into just a very brief understanding of who the lawgiver is, because it is going to make a big difference in the sense of understanding everything else we're going to be talking about on the podcast today. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It's taken a while for us to get to this point, but finally... We're at the point of talking about food for those who have been following us on this journey. I hope you've enjoyed the foundation that we've laid in order to get to this point. So, uh, Suzanne, let's talk a bit about this lawgiver and uh, what the biblical narratives, the biblical texts, the Bible, what it has to say about this lawgiver. For those that have followed from the beginning, I gave a bit about my background story coming from a traditional Christian perspective where the law is basically done away with and there is a New Testament, new law. I think for many people there's a Old Testament law that was given to Israel or to the Jews, a different way by which they were saved under a different law. And mm-hmm. then in the mm-hmm. New Testament, Jesus or Yeshua came and he did away with that old law and it's not like we're without law it's just Mm -hmm. that we're now under a new law Mm -hmm. which is generally called the law of love Mm -hmm. and that is the laws that Jesus gave that replaced the Old Testament laws that his father gave. I think everyone has their own little combination of how exactly they have been taught or even understand that. Even if I haven't been taught it that way, that's the way I understood it anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The way I understand it today is if we can start with James 4 verse 12, it says there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. So there is not a different lawgiver for the Old Testament, the Father or Moses or whoever you believe the lawgiver was at Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. There's not one lawgiver from the Old Testament and a different lawgiver, Jesus, from the New Testament. Mm-hmm. There is one lawgiver. And if we look at Isaiah 33, verse 22. Isaiah 33, verse 22. For Jehovah is our judge. Jehovah is our lawgiver. 
Yehovah is our king and he will save us. He will save us. And if you look at that in the Hebrew text, it says, Hu Yoshienu. So he is our Yeshua. Uh, we see the salvation of Yehovah here in this text, and he's the lawgiver. So how much more clear can it be that the text does not identify two lawgivers, but one? Yes, we see in this text um, there is a judge, there is a lawgiver, there is a king, and there is a savior. And I could really, in my past walk, my spiritual walk, I could identify with Yeshua being the savior. There's a reason why his name is Yeshua. So I could identify with Yeshua as my savior. I could identify with Yeshua as my king. We all know from the New Testament, Revelation 17 verse 14 for just one example. So I could identify with him as my king. I struggled a bit with him as my judge. So from my past, I knew Jesus as my savior. I knew Jesus as my king. And I was sort of trying to understand Jesus as the judge because he's this nice guy who doesn't seem to be angry at anyone. He lets the woman in adultery go and he says, I'm not here to condemn you. That one I was still working on. But a new lawgiver who gives me laws that are easy, you know, the laws that the Father gave. If we look at this, Isaiah 33 verse 22, it says, yod vav is judge, lawgiver, king and savior. And Yeshua identifies clearly in the New Testament as our Savior, as our King, as our Judge. And if we look at James 4 verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. So if we say that Yeshua is the one who saves us, he is the same one who will come to destroy and is also the same one who is the lawgiver. And that is a very important foundation because if we're looking at our whole conversation here is about choice, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if... We follow Yeshua as our Savior, we follow Him as our King, then we have to acknowledge Him as our lawgiver and as the only lawgiver. And He is the same lawgiver that gave the laws to Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. He's the same lawgiver that gave the laws to Adam and Eve right in the beginning and said, don't eat from this tree, eat from that tree. Mm -hmm. So it is the same lawgiver from Genesis to the end of Revelation. And mm -hmm. that is an important concept to understand, especially as we start um, looking into what the laws are that he gave for us mm -hmm. to feed these two lives that we spoke about last time. And if we say it's the same lawgiver right through scripture, then we cannot discredit Old Testament passages from our current walk. With all that being said, on the last program, what we did was to begin by identifying the dictionary definition of what food is. And it's really, from a worldly dictionary viewpoint, food is physical. And uh, they define it as such, saying it's any substance containing nutrients such as carbs, proteins, and fats that can be ingested and metabolized into energy and body tissue in order to promote growth and or to sustain life. So, as we mentioned on the last show, 
This definition assumes a purely physical outlook on food, but uh, in the Bible, we see something totally different. We discussed last time that Genesis 2 verse 7, where it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That in Hebrew, the word there is plural, it's lives. And in Genesis 25 verse 7, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life. In Hebrew, it says lives. So we have natural life and our spiritual life, our life, our earthly life and our heavenly life. And if we look at Genesis 2 verse 16, we find there that for these two lives, there is also two forms of eating. In eating you shall eat. Which is actually interesting because Genesis 2 17, it says in dying you will die. So there's two deaths, a first death and a second death. So it makes perfect sense when we see in Genesis 2.16 that in eating you will eat, implying very specifically that in eating physically there is a metaphor or teaching of eating spiritually because Yeshua said in his prayer to the Father as he taught to us, pray this way, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have eating on earth and eating in heaven, explaining in John 4 why Yeshua said, I have food that you do not know. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. So this is very clear that there are two different aspects of eating. There's a food of heaven and a food of earth. Indeed, we also read that when the Israelites were in the wilderness, when they were eating the manna, we know that they ate literal manna, right? Earthly food. But then we read that Yeshua was that manna they were eating from. So they ate a heavenly food and a spiritual food at the same time. Actually, he was mentioning that in uh, John, Yohanan, John chapter 6, when he was saying, I am the true bread which came down out of heaven, so it's kind of like eating of the food that Yeshua gave. Yes, they were eating his bread and drinking from his water in the wilderness. So we have two lives, two eats, and two dies. So this brings us to the idea of the doubling idea that we see oftentimes in Scripture, Cezanne, where we have uh, the doubling like Yerushalayim, that means there is a Jerusalem below and a Jerusalem above. There's Hashemayim, that is the heavens, which is often translated as the heaven, but they are one. There is a heaven below the rakia or firmament and a heaven above the rakia or firmament. So again, two heavens. And this is a pattern that we see quite often right through Scripture. And the implication of this is when we're talking here about eating food, most of us are talking about natural food in terms of switching from salami to pastrami, right? I hope we all understand that the spiritual food we should be eating from is 
clean food, pure from the Father's hand, right? So the question here is, is that enough or is there something else added? And when we disconnect heaven and earth, then we've disconnected the link that the Father established between these two. If we look at earthly food or natural food and we think we can eat anything there, but in the heavenly realm we can't eat anything, then our earth and heaven don't witness together. Okay, that's uh, well said. So uh, let's continue on. So let's look at how God commanded man to feed these two lives before the fall. I think um, vegetarians would be quite happy to see that the creator of heaven and earth gave a vegetarian or maybe even vegan diet for mankind to live off. But we all know after the fall, when sacrifices started, things changed, right? And we can ask ourselves why. Why did food suddenly change to include meat? The way I would, in a very simplified way, understand it, is the problem that we have is that God said the soul that sins shall die. That's a problem. Because Adam and Eve sinned, and we all have been born into that fallen nature. And even once we are born from above and have this freedom to choose that we spoke about in our previous sessions, I find myself making the wrong mistakes often. Though I have the freedom to choose, I have the knowledge to choose right, I even have the spirit in me guiding me to choose right and empowering me to choose right, yet I am weak and I make mistakes. So seeing that the soul that sins shall die, there is a problem. And then because we know that scripture tells us God doesn't wish that anyone should die, he is a loving father. Um, he had to come up with a solution, right? And he gives us the solution. He says, I gave blood to you for atonement. The soul is in the blood. So the soul that is in the blood, he has given us as atonement for the sin that we all fall into. They are non-righteous. Mm -hmm. So that's the foundation of why blood needs to be spilled. And that is the foundation where we see why meat was added to our diet. So food is not purely a physical discipline. Natural food also is a spiritual reality. Like Shabbat, for instance. We mm -hmm. keep Shabbat in the natural here every week, right? Mm -hmm. But we know there's a true spiritual Shabbat that we enter into, and there's a fulfillment of the true Shabbat that is still to come. Mm -hmm. But we, in the natural, we declare that on earth as it will be in heaven. Mm -hmm. So in that same way, our natural food... Is not just a discipline or just a sense of obedience, though it is both of those things too, mm -hmm. but there's a spiritual reality to them that we're proclaiming every time we eat according to obedience. No one argues about kosher food, whether you can eat that carrot or the cauliflower. If we're honest about it, it's about meat. It's about animal products. There's very little debate in terms of what plants we're allowed to eat or not. We're not arguing if you can eat grass or not. We mm -hmm. know grass isn't food for mm -hmm. humans. It's about animals. So basically, when we're looking at eating animal products or meat, what are we basically saying? That eating meat has a spiritual relevance to it, that is about our salvation. When Yeshua says, eat my body, drink my blood, he's giving us the reality that the earthly meat that we eat is pointing to, like the Passover lamb. We knew that there was a literal lamb. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, there was a literal lamb that they ate. 
And as long as the temple stood, they were eating a literal lamb every year at Passover. And we know that from the New Testament, there is a spiritual reality that Yeshua, he is the Passover lamb. So in that sense, there's a clear link between the eating of meat and the salvation that God gave us when he says, I will give you blood for atonement. Mm. So if we're saying that our natural food is a metaphor of a spiritual reality that has to do with our atonement and our salvation, right? Then in the spiritual reality, there is a true Messiah and there is a false Messiah. So if we have our true atonement, it is in Yeshua. If we have a different Yeshua, then we have a false Messiah. And we mm-hmm. know there is an antichrist or a in the place of the true Messiah, right? Anti means in the place of. Mm -hmm. So there is a Messiah that's in the place of the true one. So our natural earthly metaphor of food should also have the true Messiah metaphored in clean food in the place of a false Messiah is then metaphored in something else. Mm -hmm. And we see those boundaries that distinguish our two choices for us. With our natural food, God has set boundaries there so that we can clearly distinguish between the two messiahs. Because ultimately, if the boundaries are taken away, then we think everything is for life and it's just another variety within life, but it's not. And the reality of false messiahs and that the spiritual food that we're meant to eat, there are boundaries. And in our natural eating, God wants us to proclaim that same truth every time you put something in your mouth. Mm -hmm. That spiritual reality is proclaimed through what we eat. And those two options, either eating clean for life or unclean for death, should be taught and revealed through our natural food as well. You know, this really does make a lot of sense. Even when you take a look at the teachings of Vayikra or Leviticus chapter 11, as well as Devarim or Deuteronomy chapter 14, these passages that are written down for us are identifying the boundaries, the kosher boundaries of what is classified as food on earth, which naturally tells us that there is going to be a spiritual counterpart in heaven. So in other words, if we are forbidden to eat something on earth, I would see that there is a spiritual counterpart to it. So when the lawgiver gave the laws on earth as they are in heaven, back in Vayikra or Leviticus chapter 11, it would seem very difficult to me that now in the Brihadasha or New Testament, that somehow all of this changes and, oh, the laws of heaven no longer apply to the laws of earth. That just doesn't even connect to me. It's like something's really wrong with that idea. Yes, we've created a disconnect between the metaphor that is meant to be our teaching to the nations, to ourselves, to our children, and to the nations of a spiritual reality. And if we've made a disconnect with that, our teaching metaphor gives a different message than the spiritual reality. Something that I also found to be interesting is if we look at the sacrificial system as it's set out in Vaikra or in Leviticus, we see that Israel was to bring a drawing near offering, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what I thought was quite interesting about that is God has a specific way 
that we are to approach him. So if you were an Israelite and you had a desire to draw near to your creator, then he gave you the way to draw near. And he said, through bringing this offering, only a few animals that he said, these are allowable animals. This is the way that you draw near to me. You can't bring your pig from your herd and say, I'm drawing near to him this way. We're living in Australia. You can't bring a kangaroo and say, I'm drawing near to God this way. He Mm -hmm. said, if you want to draw near, this is the way that you approach me. Mm -hmm. If you're drawn near through this way, I will accept you. So he made an acceptable way to draw near and an unacceptable way to draw near. And this acceptable drawing near offerings, all of them come from the Leviticus food list of allowed food. And some of those draw near offerings, they actually partook and they ate. Some of them were burnt up whole. Some of them were partly burnt up and the priests could eat some of it. And some of it the offerer would eat. When either the offerer or the priest, when they ate from these offerings, it was a meal that they were having with God. Mm-hmm. So all these offerings that they were allowed, it came from the list of clean foods. In drawing near to the Almighty Eternal Jehovah, it's done by Him inviting us to eat with Him, and He therefore eats with us. This eating principle of drawing near to Jehovah is really, really important because In the Hebrew scripture that has been given to us, he specifies the foods that we can use to draw near. And in the specification of those foods, he doesn't say, well, it's a free-for-all and anything goes. So it doesn't make any sense to me that all of a sudden now the New Testament says, oh, well, you can draw near in eating anything that you want to eat, and hey, I'll join you in it, by the way. It's okay. When he says, come and share a meal with me on earth as it is in heaven, which is what Yeshua said, then how could he possibly say, well, I've decided to change the rules here. Nah, we don't need to do that anymore. That makes absolutely no sense to me. There is still a way to eat food for life, and there is a way to eat food for death, the same as in the garden. And he is the same in terms of the way back to life after the fall is through his acceptable draw-near offering, which is metaphored through food and having a peace meal together. Mm. And we see that every time we eat, we're proclaiming one of two ways back. We are proclaiming either life or death, and we are proclaiming either the Messiah or the anti-Messiah. If we think about what happened before the destruction of Jerusalem, when Antiochus Epiphanes came into Jerusalem, right? What did he do on the altar of the temple? Mm. They slaughtered what? A pig. And what were they actually doing there? They were not just saying, let's eat anything. They were saying, we're offering a different Messiah. Let me just think what year, in one in 167 BC, right? Mm-hmm. It was during the era of the uh, Hashmonaim, the, uh, the Maccabees. Yeah, so what was basically happening there is they slaughtered a pig on the altar and they put Zeus up as the god on the Temple Mount. Mm-hmm. So what they slaughtered, their drawing near offering that they represented through an unclean animal, It was a draw-near offering to a different God through a different Messiah. So all of that represented there was done through the metaphor of a pig. 
And that in one picture gives us the anti-Messiah, the different way back and a different God. And if we read in Daniel about the abomination of desolation, that is one way in which it happened in history. And surely it will repeat until the final repetition. But that is one way. That is abominable. And in Proverbs 28 verse 9, we read, He that turns away his ear from hearing the Torah, even his prayer, shall be an abomination, right? That is quite severe. It's, it's a heavy statement there. Mm-hmm. Um, Proverbs 15 verse 8, The slaughter of the wicked is an abomination to Jehovah. But the intercession of the upright is his delight, or in Hebrew, his acceptable payment. Mm-hmm. So the slaughter of the wicked that we know was pig back then, done by Antiochus Epiphanes, that is an abomination. And if we don't give our ear or Shema, hear and do what God says, then we're eating from the wrong tree. And our draw near offering is an abomination and even our prayers won't be heard. Mm -hmm. So it's important to eat from the tree of life. Don't eat from the wrong tree again. Our teaching metaphors through our daily lives, all of that gives the same truth that the spiritual reality of it is meant to teach to the world that there is a Messiah and an anti-Messiah and to clearly show the distinction between the two and then to choose life. Okay, we're going to take a short break from our discussion here, so stay with us and we'll be right back. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-34. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to our podcast, Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and I have with me my wife, Suzanne. Posing the question, is everything that we eat food, according to the doctrine that we read about in the Bible, that eating biblically kosher is not a Jewish doctrine, it is a Yeshua doctrine. So, let's continue where we left off. Suzanne, take it away. So, there is a set of clean animals to draw near with, and then there is a meal that is shared when you draw near the way that God has approved us to draw near. If you want to share a bit more about that meal, that shared meal. We know in the Middle East, and uh, particularly, of course, I know it in Israel because of my years living there, that when two people eat uh, a meal together, when we go out to a restaurant in Israel, the statement that you will often hear from either the table server, or if you're at a private home, you'll hear it from the uh, the host of the home, you'll hear the statement, labriyut, labriyut. Mm-hmm. And labriyut is from the root bara, or brit, meaning a covenant. So the word covenant comes from the same root where we get the phrase labriyut. Labriyut in Hebrew simply means to your health. And that's because uh, briut refers to one's physical health, but also one's spiritual health as well. And so this is interesting because when a table server or the host of a home says to you, la briut, in the sense of you going and partaking of a meal, they're saying 
a covenant to you. What is the covenant? Well, I don't know. Maybe it can be the covenant between you and your food, but I think it's more a covenant between you and your God, you and your creator, because he is the one that provides the food for you to eat. That's how it's understood. We are eating because of what he provides. That's what Judaism has been teaching for you know, a long, long time. And that's why we say the prayers that we say in the Siddur about thanking the Almighty One for our food, for our sustenance. So eating is a covenant between Jehovah and us as we eat. And we can see that in passages such as Genesis 31:54. Maybe we should read that one? Yeah, we should. If you remember the narrative, Jacob takes his whole family and uh, leaves the influence of Laban, uh, Rivka's or Rebekah's father and that whole family. He leaves them and he heads out for the land uh, of his father, Avraham, and for Yitzhak. Well, there is a confrontation that takes place on uh, the mountains of Gilad, which is just east of the Sea of Galilee, of the Kinneret in Israel. And there in the land of Gilad, or Gilead, uh, Jacob has a confrontation with Laban, Laban, who accuses him of all kinds of nasty, horrible things. And uh, you can read about that story on your own. What I want to read is the conclusion of that uh, confrontation in Genesis 31:54, Laban and Yaakov agreed together to have a meal and to basically say, we agree to disagree. You go your way, I go my way, and don't mess with me. Together, they form a covenant or an agreement. Now, what do they do in that particular verse? Read it. And Yaakov offered a slaughter or a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And bread, lechem, bread is food. In eating, it says, and they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And then early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. So here we see that one will not go near the other. They have an agreement and they seal it with food. In other words, kind of a labriute concept to a covenant to a covenant an agreement meal or a peace meal we we still do that today don't we when in business practice you sit in the boardroom and you discuss with the client and you come to some kind of an agreement what normally happens when you seal the deal you go out and you take your client out to dinner or to lunch mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you have a deal we still have that today at our weddings right when mm -hmm. you've made an agreement, you've covenanted with one another. What happens afterwards? You have a meal together. So we still have that happening. I think this is interesting in light of a statement that's made in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Mm. This is where Yeshua is saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him or eat with him and he with me. So here is a labriute idea towards or to a covenant. Yes, with a condition, hearing his voice. And if we look at the Passover meal, the Passover as it was back when Passover was instituted, and then when Yeshua explained the fulfillment and how heaven and earth connect together on the Passover meal, when he says, eat my body, drink my blood, that is the fact that he would give his soul in his blood, his life would be atonement for us. Mm -hmm. And when we partake of his draw near offering, the clean lamb, right? The, the one-year-old lamb without spot or blemish, the acceptable drawing near offering that God gave to us. His only way back is through that acceptable draw near offering. So Yeshua was saying, if we partake of that, he was giving us that same covenant meal concept. And he instituted for us bread and wine today as the metaphor of that reality and our clean and unclean meat if we're still eating together when he instituted the bread and wine that next day that very next day they were going to partake of the passover lamb not the passover pig or the passover prawns Mm -hmm. It was the Passover lamb. It's interesting to me that in Scripture we see this word toiva, which is translated into English as an abomination, something that is an abomination. And it would just seem impossible to me, Suzanne, for Jehovah to say to us, oh yes, come and dine with me with an abomination, and I'll dine with you with an abomination. Yes, I'll dine with you and you dine with me, and hey, let's just go ahead and eat whatever we want. We're under a new covenant, under a new labriut. Uh, if you look at this word abomination in the Bible, toiva. It's a bone-chilling word, isn't it? It, it really is. You're going to see that it's linked to injustice, sexual impurity, idolatry, worshipping according to the ways of the heathen or the nations, eating that which Jehovah said do not eat and do not designate it as food. It uh, would just seem to me that eating uh, forbidden foods like bacon uh, or ham or whatever you're going to eat, I guess, that it, it is called an abomination, a toiva, to him. Why is eating a pulled pork sandwich as abominable as idolatry, as homosexuality, as sacrificing children to Molech? These are all mentioned as toiva. you got to look at this stuff in the context. Yeah, and we seem to want to define what is abominable according to what is an abomination in our own eyes. Locusts are designated as clean to eat, according to God in Leviticus, right? I will find that personally quite abominable. There is no way that I'm going to eat a locust. Well, well wait, they do have chocolate-covered locusts, though. You can have all of them, Avi. You're welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick with the chocolate. You can have the locusts. So, okay. in God's eyes, what is abominable to me is locust. What is abominable to God is mm -hmm. the pulled pork sandwich. Every time we come back to the garden... 
Do we define the law according to our own eyes, what I think is good, or do I say I accept that the word of God and I eat it the way he sees things? So as you were asking why do we have something like eating a pulled pork sandwich as abominable to him as sexual impurity and idolatry and offering your kids to Molech. How how do we link those two? And it seems it's because it's all linked to that one event in the garden, right? If you think about it, if he's saying abominations will be idolatry, adultery, and breaking the food laws, right? All mm-hmm. of those things are linked to abominations in his eyes. What happened when Adam and Eve ate? What happened with that first bite? It was with one bite, it was all three of those. It was definitely breaking a food law, right? But it was also adultery because they were eating from a different word mm-hmm. and a different God spiritually. They were covenanting with mm-hmm. someone else. Mm-hmm. That is idolatry mm-hmm. and adultery and breaking the food law all in one. And eating unclean food is also linked to the same abominations as idolatry and adultery. So it's like, well, wait a minute. I mean, if if the food laws are supposed to be uh, abrogated, then I would think, okay, then that means the Almighty says that uh, uh, adultery and idolatry and sexual impurity and injustice, those are also abrogated too, because they're all using the same exact word. Yeah, and I'm afraid in some churches and some spiritual groups today, those things are being abrogated. Hmm. But those of us walking in truth know that's not true. Mm. But we've lost the connection between eating and these other realities. We've lost our connection between eating and how that relates to idolatry and adultery. If we are truly wanting to say labriot, Which means to your health, which also from Hebrew would mean to your covenant between you and Yehovah. Yes, so if we truly want to say labriot to your health, we know our health is only our wholeness and health and reconnection with Yehovah is only through His acceptable draw-near offering. That draw-near offering is Yeshua and His life that He poured out for us in His blood through His death and resurrection, right? So if we want to metaphor that on earth if we have our christmas ham and we say god please bless this christmas ham what are we saying we're sitting there we're asking him that we want to covenant with him metaphorically with something that he hasn't blessed that doesn't teach his way back so we're essentially sitting down to the table for our easter or christmas ham and saying Father in heaven, bless this abomination that we're about to eat. Yes, and we're asking him to bless this metaphor. That is not a metaphor of the way back. That is a in-the-place-of-Messiah metaphor like Antiochus Epiphanes. That is a different Messiah that you're representing in your metaphor. I cannot bless that. And that is why, for me, eating clean today is so much more than a health reason. And now there are many health reasons, right? It's more than a discipline. It's more than a health reason reason because some scientists can prove that pork isn't good for you or that shellfish has some poison in it or there are some allergic reactions. It's so much more than that. Those things are there, right? But it's so much more. It is daily proclaiming in a metaphor form, proclaiming the Messiah that he has shown to the world to be the only way back to him. So I think uh, when we're reading in Breshit or Genesis, uh, about all of the uh, starting points of, uh, of our faith, uh, there we learn 
that we have a food choice in the garden, choosing between two trees, and it's fascinating to me that the whole beginning covenant in the book of Genesis begins with a food choice, and in the book of Revelation at the end of the game, it ends with making the right food choice. So it's beginning with food and ending with food, in the Bible. This it, has got to tell you something. It sounds like a very good story, right? Every story has a beginning, a climatic middle, and then a happy ending. Every good story that I like to read anyway. And like you're saying, yes, there's a beginning with a food choice. In the end, we have that same happy ending where now the problem that we started off with that bad food choice, that problem has been resolved. And what do we have in the middle, this climatic middle? We have in the fullness of time, the word became flesh, died, resurrected, and ascended on high. And Yeshua says, eat my body, drink my blood. So the climatic middle, he makes the way back. He, he becomes the reality that all these things have been pointing to. You know, when we say the Hebrew word basar, mm. which is often translated as flesh, it really carries a synonymous idea with the term lechem which is food or bread. You know, bread, food, basar, they, they are synonymous ideas. They're still explaining what you're eating. So really, we could say from John 1.14, the word became food. Yeah. And, and that's what Yeshua said in John 6. He said, eat of my body and drink of my blood. He's not speaking about doing this in a physical sense. No, what he's saying is eat the clean doctrines of God, drink the pure water of the Word, breathe the Holy Spirit as God intended for life. Don't eat and drink unclean doctrines of men and their mixtures of truth and tradition. Don't breathe or be animated or moved to action by unclean spirits or demons. We see that Yeshua, when he expelled the demons out of that man at Gadara, he didn't send those demons into a herd of sheep or a herd of goats. He sent them into pigs. Why? Because he's saying these unclean spirits are metaphored by the unclean animals, right? So don't be moved or animated by unclean spirits or demons that lead to death. And manifest the truth of God's instructions for life on earth as they are in heaven by eating biblically clean food. Drink pure water where possible. Breathe clean air. Some of us can't. We live in cities. But if you can, breathe clean air. Drink pure water. Eat clean food. And then hopefully when you do that, you have already been doing that in, in the spirit realm and you're eating Yeshua's body and his blood and you're already feeding from his table in communion with him and metaphoring that on earth so that we teach that to our children and we live that out to the world out there so that they too can come back to him the way that he has declared, the pathway that he has shown us to come back to him. So given what we've kind of gone over here on uh, uh, today's uh, show, it would seem to me that when we are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb... Mm, when that are, final beautiful meal. I, I cannot possibly imagine that uh, Yeshua is going to sit at the head of the table. We're around the dining table of heaven, and uh, he's going to uh, 
uh, serve uh, shrimp cocktail and uh, catfish and uh, let's see a little bit of pulled pork and uh, you know uh, some some pork chops and uh, you know have a little bacon and uh, bacon lettuce and tomato sandwich I, I just can't possibly imagine it just doesn't connect to me I don't know no I doubt there will be any of those things I'm pretty sure he won't be serving a table of unclean food it will be a metaphor of his true reality in Matthew 20:16 and in Matthew 22:14 Yeshua says for many are called, but few are chosen. Well, in light of everything we're talking about, it actually doesn't make a whole lot of sense in light of everything else we've looked at. Here's what I think it really is saying. For many are called, but few make the choice. Mm. Few make that decision to make the proper choice. Few make the right choice. That's what I believe it is saying in the Greek and in the English, and that to me makes perfect sense. So given that this is what I think is going on, it also makes more sense to me when Yeshua says, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life and few will find him. It's not few will find it because Yeshua says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's Yeshua is not an it. It's a him. He is the one. He is the word made flesh he is the word made food. So therefore, he says, narrow is the way that leads to life, meaning Yeshua, and few will find him. He's the one that's teaching us these things are the proper way to draw near unto me. And if we don't follow that path, then I don't know how we can possibly say we're drawing near to him. Yeah, and if you have found him, then live out the metaphor so that others too can find him. We are meant to teach. If we are priests of this new covenant, then we are to live out the way to others. We love singing that song, We Are in the Days of Elijah, right? Mm. And I believe we are called to the ministry of Elijah to restore his ways and to make ready the bride because he's coming soon. Behold, it's in Malachi 4, verse 5. But let's start with verse 4, maybe, are we? Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Mm -hmm. Are you all Israel? Have you been grafted in, like Paul says? If mm -hmm. you have been grafted into the covenant, then you are part of this all Israel message, right? Mm -hmm. So he says, remember the law of Moses. And we've said there's one lawgiver. So who gave the law at Mount Sinai? How did he distinguish between clean and unclean food spiritually and physically? Mm -hmm. And then in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great day and before the coming of the dreadful day. And Suzanne, I'm reminded of Yohanan uh, or John 5, 43 through 47. I have come in my father's name. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. John 5, 43. Then he says, how can you believe? who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only Elohim or God. Do not think 
that I shall accuse you before the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I think we could put it in the opposite form and say, if you are rejecting Moses, then you're going to reject Yeshua, even though you're saying you're accepting Yeshua. No, you're actually rejecting him because you're rejecting Moses, as he said. Because Yeshua said, Moses spoke about me. Let's close this program off here for today. I want to close with this message of Elijah, right? So Mm -hmm. 2,000 years ago, John the Baptist came, and he came in the spirit of Elijah. He came calling everyone back to walking in God's way instead of the traditions of men, right? I believe we are in those days of Elijah, where righteousness is being restored. It has to be restored in us, not only the righteousness of how we shall be saved, because that has been restored to a huge extent, I believe, that we're not being saved by our own merit, are our own efforts of keeping laws. We are saved and restored in relationship by grace through faith. Mm -hmm. But what needs restoring as well is now that you're saved, how shall you live? Eat from the tree of life. Don't go back to that tree of mixture. Come out of Babylon. Come out of those traditions. And I believe we're walking in a time where that has to be restored in us and that message has to go out the full gospel package that we are to proclaim, not a cut-and-paste, watered-down version. So, yes, we have to leave Egypt. We've come out by the Lamb, but now Egypt has to leave us so that we can be purified as a bride. So this brings our program to a close today. This is part four. We still have one more program that we have to do in this series I would like to call that yes, but, and then talk about some of the misunderstood New Testament passages that are often quoted as a a proof text and justification saying the New Testament abrogates everything that Jehovah spoke about in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, and all through the whole Hebrew scripture a package. Thank you for joining us and bring your willing heart and your humble heart with next time and let's hear what the Spirit and the Word wants to share with us next time. Okay, we'll see you next time folks. Thanks a lot for joining us. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads. Send us an email addressed to questions at cominghome.co.il Real Israel Talk Radio.